Motivating people is hard, but it's especially hard when you work in an environment with hourly employees, like at a restaurant or retail shop or a call center. But even if you work in an office environment with salaried employees, with so many folks working virtually, motivating your people to want to do their best, it's a challenge for everyone. So what are we managers to do? Well, that's what today's guest is going to unpack for us. A warm welcome to Beth M., Ed C., Michael R., Alexandria K., and JC to the Modern Manager community. Today's guest is JC Bernstein. JC is a management coach and founder of The Management Mentor. She's also the author of Ignite Your Team, using the SPARK method to lead, ignite, and build a team that cares. JC and I talk about how to motivate employees, especially hourly workers. She shares her SPARK method for getting to understand the unique motivations of each of your team members so that you can build trust and effectively engage them in their role. Plus, members of Podcast Plus get the extended interview where JC explains how to keep people motivated during change, which is a prime time for them to disengage. Now here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, JC. I'm So excited to finally be returning to this topic of part-time workers and hourly workers and people who work in non-office settings, because I know that there are a ton of managers who are leading teams in those kinds of environments, and we don't talk about it often enough. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I just finished reading your book, and I loved it. And even though I just said we're going to talk about people working in non-traditional settings or non-traditional office settings or part-time workers, I feel like what you talk about in the SPARK method is really applicable to everyone. So why don't you start by just giving us the overview of what SPARK is all about and how you think about motivation for employees just in general. And then we'll get into like the good stuff of each little piece of it. The SPARK method is really, it's it's a methodology to help managers very quickly identify what matters to individual people on their team and then help them connect to that. And I think that this is a really important kind of viewpoint and perspective which is very different than traditionally, I think, that we've been taught. I think we've been taught a lot to, you know, explain the purpose behind people's work and explain the why, because historically that has worked to help connect people to a higher purpose and find value in their work. But things are different now. Society is different. Culture is different. And, you know, one of the most common complaints I hear from managers constantly is that nobody wants to work anymore Everybody is just feeling entitled. It's all about them. And they really struggle with motivating their team because of it. And I think what the Spark Method really helps leaders to do is to just stop fighting that and instead start capitalizing on it. Figure out ways to identify what matters to people and then just connect to that because that's really what's going to drive performance now. It makes so much sense. And I feel like there's always been this kind of undercurrent and maybe not always, but I remember hearing like the story of the janitor at, at NASA being like, 
you know, I'm not just a janitor, like I'm helping to put the man on the moon, right? Like that no matter what role you have, you can see yourself as being part of the big company mission or vision and therefore like be inspired to do your job because you're part of it. And it never resonated for everyone. And for sure now it's resonating even less than maybe it did in the past. And I could also see how like, depending on what your business is, what your organization is, that mission may be more or less compelling just kind of in general to folks. And so unless you're like Patagonia and you're you're like living your mission and you're, you know, all people who work there are so aligned, right? It may not even be a realistic thing to think that you can get people inspired by your mission to begin with. And the other piece to that too is when you're talking about working with an hourly population in customer service facing industries, things like restaurants and retail, maybe warehouses, you're probably not connected to some like bigger soulful purpose, right? It might just be about creating a great customer experience. And you're also many times employing people who are just entering the workforce. It's kind of a transitional gig, but those managers still need those employees to be really engaged and really motivated and stay with them for as long as they can, right? Retention is is an important thing. So it's not the same as considering how you might motivate somebody who is a doctor, who is going into work for something that they've studied, dedicated so many years to studying for something that they already have this really big drive for, right? Like it's different. It's just not the same. I mean, it seems to me like what the population you're talking about are probably the hardest to motivate in that way. So maybe we shift now into so what do you do about that? Like, how how do you motivate them if it feels like they're not really connected to the company mission? They're not even necessarily connected to the job that they're doing, right? They haven't studied and they haven't like chosen it as a career path. They maybe just are doing it. And in many cases, they're like showing up for the money. And actually, maybe before we go into how you motivate them, can you talk about the money piece of this for a second? Because this was another piece that you you talk about of like, what's the role of the paycheck and how does it motivate or not people to stick around? Many times managers tend to focus in this mentality where the paycheck is their reward, right? They're getting paid to do a job. So they should just be doing the job. But it's not enough anymore. There's just too many options out there. So there has to be more than just the money. There's a couple of things about money, like money is replaceable, right? They can walk down the street and probably find five other places that would instantly pay them. And because it's so hard to retain people right now, there's a bidding war. So they could probably get even more money somewhere else, right? The other piece to money is that when you rely solely on money as a motivational factor, they're dedication and their effort to the work becomes transactional. If there's extra money there, they try harder. If there's not, they won't. But we don't have endless budgets, right? So what do we do? There has to be more connecting them to the work than just money. Okay. So now what do we do then? It can't be money. It's obviously not mission or not always mission. It's not because I love the activities itself because I've studied and I feel connected to this calling or the this activity like what do we do how are we motivating people yeah so it has to be individual right what motivates people is highly highly specific to that person what their just kind of history is how they were raised where they are in their life it's all going to be different for that individual person and if you think about the word motivation if you really break it down to its roots right motive is about a reason right that's what a motive is 
And that suffix, ation, is about to act. That's what it refers to. So motivation is just giving people a reason to act. So everybody has an individual reason, and so you have to tap into that. That's what the SPARK method does. It's going to help you identify it and then understand how to make the connection between individual motivation, their individual reason, and the work. And it's not as hard as a lot of people think it is. I think that, you know, a lot of managers first hear this and they're like, oh my God, I don't have the time for this. Like, I don't have the time and I have a business to run. It's not all about them. I My results matter too. And they're 100% right. So they need to understand that there are simple, simple tweaks that they can just kind of layer into what they already do that'll make that connection for them without it being this huge, like, you know, molehill that they have to conquer. Mm. Okay. So then walk us through, because I'm one of those people that was like, this feels like a big lift, but now I know it's not. So here are the steps. So SPARK is an acronym, right? So it breaks it down into five just kind of basic steps. The first step is to just slow down and gain perspective. And I think this is where every, not everybody, but most people really fall short, is that we have so many things on our plate. We're busy, we're getting pulled in a million directions, and we want to just get through the things, right? The more we can get done in the less time, the better. But what happens when we operate in that mentality and just go mode all the time is we miss things. And one of the most important things that we miss is what's actually going on in the dynamics of our team, what's actually going on with our people. So every once in a while, you don't have to stop, but just kind of slow down and kind of observe and start to look at things a little bit objectively and start tuning in. What are you seeing? What are you not seeing? What are you hearing? What are you not hearing? Start to really just get objective and start to look and analyze things. The second step is to pay attention. And this is about paying attention to very specific things. And in the book, I just refer to them as clues because people reveal to us what's important to them all the time. We're just not really paying close attention so we don't see it, right? So things like what they surround themselves with, pictures, maybe trinkets or items around them. What are they wearing? Are they wearing logos frequently, right? What types of things are they talking about? How do they spend their time when they're not at work? All of these things are going to give you clues as to what they care about and what matters to them. The next step is the A. So that's asking calibrated questions. And this is a really, really important step because it helps you to get really, really clear in understanding whether or not these clues that you've identified actually do matter to the person. And if they do matter, how much? How deep is that connection? Because the stronger that connection to that thing the more likely it is that if you're able to help that person either maintain that thing or help them accomplish something that they really are, are looking to accomplish, the more likely it is that they're going to be incredibly connected to the work and they're going to get motivated. So you've got to ask questions to get really clear in understanding who this person is. And then the next step is R, um, and it's read the response signs. So as you're kind of talking to people, you want to pick up clues right? What is, what's their body language? Are they getting happy about something? Are they getting really upset about something? How intense is their reaction, right? And I think with this, a lot of times we get very focused on trying to find the positive reaction, right? Like, oh, this person is really excited about this. It means a lot to them. They're super motivated. They're hyped up about something. But we don't always realize a lot of times when somebody has a negative reaction to something, like a, a big blow up, when the response is kind of like bigger than what you would think the moment would warrant, 
that's also a really big clue because there's something there that that's almost threatening something that matters to them, right? And we don't always make the connection on what that is, but there's a big clue there. So reading those response signs is really important in kind of going on this hunt to understand what matters to this person. And then once you're there, once you've recognized what it is that that's so important to this person, you just have to know how to connect. And that's the K. And these are just really, really simple tools that a manager can use um, to just connect to that thing that matters to that person so that they become more dedicated and more loyal and put more effort into their work. It sounds so simple. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I mean, the nice thing about your book is that you lay out some of the steps and really practical things to do for each of those phases. And I want to get into some of those things. But maybe before we go there, can you share a story either from your own experience or a client that you've worked with and how they, you know, where were they at before and then how they applied this approach and what happened? How did, how did they transform their team or their relationships or their employee engagement for, just from following these simple processes? Hey there, Mamie here. Just a quick and exciting update for all of you who are enjoying the Modern Manager podcast. The Modern Manager membership community is getting a minor makeover and it is now called the Podcast Plus membership. And you can sign up for it and join a community of managers determined to do better every day. You'll get full access to our Slack channel, sketch notes with key takeaways from each episode, all types of guest bonuses, and the members-only podcast, which is ad-free and has extended interviews. So you get to hear the answers to my juiciest questions without interruptions like this one. Sign up today for $15 per month at themodernmanager.com slash more. Can't wait to see you there. My favorite story from the book is the story about Yoli. I got to tell you, I, I used the spark method before I even knew it was the spark method, right? And that's why I think it's such a powerful story. I had worked in restaurant operations for 10 years and I eventually got tasked with being this, like I was the fix it GM, right? They would send me into really, really broken stores and I would go in and fix everything for maybe two or three months. And then once I got that operational, they would ship me on off to the next store and the next you know, project. And I did this for years. It was exhausting, by the way. Super rewarding, but really tiring. But Yoli was a grill cook at one of these stores that I went to. And this was a really, really broken store. And they just turned over managers left and right. Like they couldn't keep anybody for longer than maybe 45 days. Um, and this went on for years. And, you know, the district manager that I worked for and the HR team that supported me, I, they literally gave me instruction to go in there and just clean house, turn over the team, start from scratch. Nothing you do is going to fix anything, right? And listen, there, there was some turnover that needed to be done. It was healthy turnover. But when I first pulled into this store, I went on almost like a like a secret shopper type of visit, right? And Yoli was out front when I pulled into the parking lot. And immediately she tagged me as not from that area, <laughs> okay? So she knew something was up. She was very smart. And she beelined it over to me. And she confronted me pretty much and said, you know what? You, uh, I know you're here to take over the store, aren't you? Well, let me tell you something. You're not going to come in here and tell us what to do. We know what we're doing. We like things the way they're working. You're not going to come in here and tell us what to do. You're not changing anything. You know, nobody lasts here. So don't get comfortable, basically. And I had never been approached quite that abrasively by anyone, especially before I had even like introduced myself as the new manager. 
It was really, it was really shocking for me. But I went in, I had my dinner. I just kind of acknowledged her and said, thank you so much for introducing yourself. I'm glad that, you know, you guys care so much about the store. I'm looking forward to meeting you guys. And I walked in and I and I had I ate there. Um, and it was quite the experience. <laughs> I'll spare you all the details, but not the best experience. And as I started working with Yoli, you know, something became really apparent to me. Yoli had this major personality. Anything that she wanted that team to do, they did. She was the ringleader. And I realized quickly that if I was able to flip Yoli onto my side, she would be a really powerful resource for me, right? So I started just kind of talking with Yoli a little bit. And I would ask her questions about, you know, what would go on in the store. I would just very, very basic conversation. And I think this kind of took her off guard because most of the time when managers went in there, they would just kind of crack the whip and tell everybody what they did wrong and write people up and look to fire people, right? And I just kind of, I didn't necessarily do that at first. I just kind of talked to people. And what became very apparent, because Yoli would, Yoli would complain all the time about how awful the managers were to her and how rude they were to her. It became really clear to me, Yoli cares a lot she just didn't like being treated like she was worthless. She didn't like hearing that she just did everything wrong. And I also figured out that Yoli really wanted to be the authority. That was really clear. So I decided to capitalize on that. And so I kind of started giving Yoli clues to what she would be kind of tested on and inspections and, you know, these kind of secret shop type of things that would go on. Um, and she reacted to me presenting her with this information like I was cheating the system somehow, which was absolutely astonishing to me because it's it's not it shouldn't be a secret, right? You should know what your food safety standards are. You should know what these shoppers are looking for. But nobody had just taken the time to go through it with her. So she started approaching kind of inspections and, all of these, you know, secret shops and visits like a challenge, like I'm going to beat them out. I'm going to show them. I'm not going to give them a reason to take a point off. I'm going to show them that I know what I'm doing. Right. And once she had that mentality, it was I, I never had to step foot in the kitchen again. And I would do test inspections on her, right? Like, let's see if I'm going to catch you. I want you to know what they're going to be looking for. I want you to be prepared. Don't give them a reason. And then I would go and do an inspection every single time she missed something. Let me tell you, every single person on that kitchen team, they knew about it. And she wasn't having it. Do you know what I mean? So I capitalized on it instead of fighting it. So powerful and so incredible and amazing to have the patience to do that investigative work, right? Which, as you described, starts with like slowing down and asking questions and looking for the clues ultimately leads to exactly the outcome that you were hoping for, which is incredible. Can you give us some of the really practical steps? And we don't have to go like super depth into each of the, the five components, but can you maybe give us a place to start with each of those five phases? To slow down and gain perspective, it's really, it has to be an intentional decision, right? You're going to get pulled off into 
focusing on all of the other tasks that you have to do. What I found is really helpful for me is to kind of set reminders. Either I would, if I, I time block all the time. So I will time block out time to slow down and to just kind of dedicate to the Spark method. And it only has to be like 10, 15 minutes, right? Maybe it's something as simple as just, um, you know, scheduling out some time to get out and walk around and talk to people really fast instead of focusing on my to-do list. Um, the other thing is with gaining perspective. And I think I touched on this a little bit before, but gaining perspective is about just kind of zooming out and seeing more. So really start getting granular about what you think you know and what you actually know, right? Just recognize that human nature is to make assumptions, um, but start to recognize what your assumptions might be and disconnect them a little bit and ask yourself, what do you see? What do you not see? What are you hearing? What are you not hearing? So those types of things would be really, really helpful. And can you just share a little bit because we talk, you talk about in the book, like what silence means when, like, if that's what you're hearing, if that's what you're seeing, right? Like, can you unpack that just for a hot second for us? <laughs> so silence is, it can kind of go both ways, right? It's very situational. If you have just given people a task and everybody should be kind of like working like like worker bees, right? Then silence might be a really good thing. But if you have somebody who used to raise their hand all the time to volunteer for assignments or used to contribute quite a lot at meetings and now all of a sudden there's a change, then silence might not be such a good thing. The other thing about silence is a lot of times managers just... They kind of assume that because nobody's raising their hand, that everything's good. And that's really not always the case. Many times people are not comfortable raising their hand. They're not comfortable saying something that a manager might not take very well or might not want to hear, right? So just because they're not saying anything doesn't mean nothing is happening. In fact, there probably are many things happening. You just don't know about them. That's why we got to slow down. Got to slow down. Okay, keep going. Okay, so with paying attention, um, I kind of talked a little bit about it, I think, before, but you're really wanting to pay attention to some clues. So what types of things are they surrounding themselves? Are there pictures of family? Are there pictures of, you know, vacations or really big events in life? Those might be really important things to somebody. You also want to pay attention to, uh, you know, what, what types of logos they're wearing. If you've ever met a Yankees fan... <laughs> then you're going to know that it's they're diehard. And when the Yankees are playing, the Yankees are playing and nothing else is going on, right? And any type of reinforcement you can give to that thing would be really important and, and very highly appreciated from that person. So, um, so just kind of pay attention to the things that they surround themselves with. Um, the other thing is about what they're talking about. People talk about things that, that matter to them, that are important. And it could be work-related. It could be not work-related, right? But um, just really start to pay attention to those things. Um, I know I was, uh, I think I mentioned in my book, I think it did end up making it in there, that there was somebody who was uh, talking about uh, just kind of a change in, in their diet, right? They went vegan um, and they were talking about all of the benefits. And if you've ever had a major dietary shift, then it's a really big deal. This particular person did it for health reasons because there are a lot of you know anti-inflammatory benefits of the, of the vegan diet. Um, and he was going through a lot of just physical ailments. So it was really helping him. And that's a really important thing for a manager to know. I mean, physical pain is a big deal, right? So what are you, what are they surrounding themselves with? 
What types of things are they talking about? Um, and then also, what do they do on their time off when they're not at work? Be in tune to those things. Are they taking time off to spend with family? What's going on with their family? Do they have a kid getting ready to go to college? Um, that's a really, really big deal. You know, just start to stay in tune, pay attention to those types of things. And then the asking the questions, I get really specific with the types of questions to ask. And I think this is a really big topic because a lot of times I think managers just kind of, they try to build rapport with small talk, right? But it's very superficial. It doesn't actually mean anything and it doesn't tell you very much, right? Like maybe a movie matters to someone, but probably like you're just talking about whether or not you saw a movie or saw a show, right? When you ask questions. When you start to have conversation with people, it should be very much connected to the clues that you're picking up. And the intention should be to identify what matters to that person. So the first type of question that I kind of offer up is a clarifying question. So, and that's really just about is what you have identified as a clue, is it really something that matters to them? And I think I use the example in the book, like if there's a, a picture of a, um, you know, a kid on their keychain, um, maybe in like, a, I don't know, a football uniform or something like that, right? You might want to ask that person, hey, is that your son? Does he play football? Well, it could be their son. And if anybody out there has had a kid who has played football in, in really any age, it is a life commitment, okay? Like your entire world revolves around that football schedule. Um, so that would be really important to know. Um, and a powerful piece of information. But maybe their car broke down and they're borrowing their sister's car for a couple of weeks, right? So now maybe that that keychain doesn't give you the clue that you think that it's giving to you. Um, so ask that clarifying question. Right, we come with our own biases too, right? So when we see a clue, we are making an assumption about what that clue means. And in some cases it could be like wrong, like you're saying with like, oh, those are actually my keys. And so therefore that picture is my nephew, which is nice, but not as powerful as my son. But it could also be like a total misread, especially around cultural symbols or other kinds of values. And so we need to be so careful. And you talk about this in the book too, that we need to be really careful about what biases we're bringing to whatever clues we see. And so checking in on those and and trying to us to get the story behind something will help us, one, make sure our biases aren't getting in the way and two, help us confirm that we're going down the right rabbit hole before we get too far in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The next type of calibrated question is, is a question about curiosity. And this is where I stay for a while um, because this is where you learn more and you want to understand, ask questions like to figure out how much time somebody spends doing something or how connected they are to something or even how much money they put into something. Um, I think I share the story in the book about the employee who came in, like every once in a while he would come in in driving a Corvette. And it was a really beautiful classic Corvette and it was meticulously taken care of. And as I asked more and more questions about this Corvette and, you know, most people just assumed that he was like a, an avid car collector or just loved classic cars, Right. But I was able to find out, I mean, he spent two to three hours every couple of weeks detailing this car. There was a whole process that went into washing it and detailing it. There were very specific like chemicals that he would use on it, and they were very expensive, and he really did a lot of research on it. And 
every winter, like he would call it putting it to bed, could put the Corvette to bed because there's a whole process of like, I don't know, preserving the battery life, I think, when like in the, in the winter months when he couldn't drive it. I mean, there was a lot of time and effort that he put into this Corvette. And most people just assumed he was this classic car lover. But why, why classic cars? Like, how did you get so into them? You must really love classic cars. And he said, no, not really. Like, what do, you, what do you mean, not really? Why do you put so much time and money into this Corvette if, if you don't love classic cars? And he said to me that that car was actually his father's car. And his father was a classic car lover. He had, I think, like six or seven cars, classic cars. And they would be in like the town parades and like all the stuff. It was a big deal for his family. And his father would have him detail all of the cars with him. And so that was like their thing. And so his father passed away when he was 18. And so taking care of this car to the standard that his father wanted it taken care of was not about the actual car or classic cars itself. It was his connection to his family. And then what that led me to discover was that he it wasn't just his dad. He took very, very meticulous care of his mother who had Alzheimer's before she passed away. And he was there every single weekend and every single time that he took time off, it was to help her kind of take care of things around the house or get care or or whatever it was. So he was heavily driven by family, not by classic cars. And I only found that out because I asked questions of curiosity. I stayed there and I asked more questions to just understand more. And the last, the last one is, is a confirmational question, um, which really just kind of confirms your, your hypothesis, right? Like this person does really care about family or this person does really care about car. And usually they'll confirm for you whether or not that's, that's what's most important to them. All right, we need to do a really quick run through the last two because we are just about out of time. With reading response signs, um, this is really just about picking up on body language, right? If somebody kind of sits up more in their chair, if they're making eye contact with you, if they're smiling, this is something that they really care about. Um, so stay there. The other piece to reading response signs is about their reaction when it's not a positive reaction. So I worked for... A, um, I worked for a labor attorney once who shared a really important lesson with me. And he said, JC, listen, the majority of employee grievances that are filed are not actually about, you know, something that a manager did wrong. They're actually a failure on the manager's part to identify the message behind the message. If someone's reaction is bigger than what you think the moment warrants, there's a reason. There's more to the story here. And so you got to stay there and ask some more questions. And then the know how to connect is really about once you've identified that thing, figure out how to connect the business to that thing. And sometimes it's the, the business itself, the tasks. And sometimes it's just about working for you. I have, I know we have uh, limited time here, but I can give you maybe like my three most favorite ones. Great. Let's do it. Okay. So the first one is to just implement their ideas. If you implement their ideas, they're automatically going to weave in uh, fulfilling for them what's important, right? So not only do you gain kind of a commitment to that task because it's their idea in the first place, but they're already resolving any issues they have with 
you know, kind of conflicting with what's important to them. So that's a really good option for managers. Another one is to make sure that you keep, I think I call it, keep the good stuff coming. And what this means is that in any role, you're going to have things that you love to do and you're going to have things that you hate to do. You're going to have things that you love about your job. You're going to have things that you really don't like about your job. And you need to understand what those are for each one of your employees. Um, and if you are able to help them fulfill a healthy balance while they consistently have those things that they love to do or the benefits that they love about their role coming to them, they will continue to have uh, have an F element of motivation into what they do. And then the last one is just a quick check-in. It is really, really powerful. If you know about something that's going on in somebody's life that means something to them, if you just periodically check in with them to get an update on it, see how things are going, it makes you feel really, really special. Let's say you have somebody who is, um, their, their child is going away to college. And let's say they've taken a lot of time off to go looking at colleges. To just kind of check in every once in a while, how's the college hunt going? Do they know what they want to study? Do they want to play any sports in college? Have they thought about dorms? Are they going to live on campus? It just shows the employee that you remember what's important to them. And that's powerful. That's really powerful. Well, I think this is the perfect place for us to wrap up. So Jason, can you tell us about a great manager you worked for and what made this person such a fabulous boss? I worked... Um, for this woman, Bernadette. And she by far has been my favorite manager for a couple of reasons. She was not a micromanager. She trusted us to be professionals and to take care of our people. She trusted our judgment. And she was there for us. She gave us really harsh feedback. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I appreciated all of her feedback because I knew that she trusted, and I'm not the only person who feels this way on, on her team. We all trusted that she had our best interests at heart. And she always painted great pictures of us out to kind of the rest of, of the company, um, despite whatever feedback she gave us. And so I think that was really, really important. Um, and it helped me grow a lot in, in my career. Fabulous. And where can people learn more about you and get a copy of your book? So the book can be found um, anywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon is usually the most popular, but you can find it anywhere online. You can also get it on my website, jcbernstein.net. Or you can find me also at themanagementmentor.com. Well, thank you again for doing this quick rundown of Spark Method. Really fun and such easy things that we can all start doing to connect our team members and increase their motivation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. JC is providing members of Podcast Plus free access to an exclusive video series on the Spark Method, in which she dives into the Spark Method for motivating team members. Plus, members of Podcast Plus get the extended interview where JC explains how to keep people motivated during change, which is a prime time for disengagement. And if you're looking for even more resources for managers, the Skills Accelerator has over 60 on-demand lessons in the Resource Center, each with a workbook to help you immediately put the insights into action. Make 2024 your year of professional development. Go to themodernmanager.com slash skills accelerator to learn more and sign up now. To get this guest bonus, the extended interview, and many more, become a member of Podcast Plus or join the Skills Accelerator at themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.